Luke chapter 18 and verse 9 is where we're at. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, last week we talked about the Jews and Samaritans, and I just kind of went through the history of how those two groups kind of came to be and where the hostility started between these two groups. And it was really just kind of a message of stating the facts and kind of giving the history. But what I want to do tonight, uh, uh, taking what we learned last week about Jews and Samaritans, I want to make a life application. I want to draw a comparison and kind of look at modern day Jews and Samaritans. Because obviously, you know, we have people who say they are Jews and are not, do lie, uh, that we like to talk about today. But we actually do have, I believe, modern day Jews or Pharisees that are very similar to what we see in the Bible. You got to understand, we don't come up with new sins. We just find a a way to repackage the old sins. And we also, while we don't have Samaritans today, you know, like a nationality or a group, spiritually speaking, we do have some Samaritans today. And I want to draw a comparison to the problems that the Jews had with the Samaritans And I want to show how in churches like ours today, if we are not careful, we can do the exact same thing that the Jews did with the Samaritans in Jesus' day. And we've got to make sure we learn from these mistakes and that we don't end up doing these exact same things. Because I'm telling you, it's very possible we can do this. And so we showed that during Jesus' day, you had these Jews who... Because they were not like these outcasts of Israel, they weren't like that northern kingdom that really messed everything up. They were the purebreds. They were the ones who kept their line pure. They were the ones that were keeping the law and doing all these great things, and they were special. And boy, did they despise others, especially those Samaritans. I mean, those guys were really bad. They really looked down on them. But the truth is, you know, they had ignored the instructions God gave them when they came out of captivity. They not only were not going into the kingdom of God themselves, but they were shutting people out. And Jesus was upset about this. So when Jesus comes to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he rebukes them for shutting people out because his house was to be a house of prayer for all nations. That was what he wanted to find when he went in there. Not a bunch of people selling stuff and trying to make money and make merchandise of people. He wanted it being a place for all people to come and to find God. And so understand, God never wanted Israel to compromise. God never wanted them to compromise. God allowing other nations in, God allowing Gentiles in, that was not a call on Israel to compromise. But what what it was, it was an invitation. Back then, hey, if you come, if you will be circumcised, if you will keep the Sabbath, if you will follow these things with us, you can be one of us. It, it It was an opportunity for them. And now, see, we've got a mixed up idea of this in America today 
because we think that inviting people into America and becoming a part of us is also bringing all their junk with them. I mean, and it didn't used to be that way. It used to be if you came into America, we welcome people with open arms, people who are trying to escape communism so they can come and have freedom. But now we're like, yes, come from communism and bring communism with you. And now what are they doing? They're destroying our country. And we're even seeing that today where you've got all these people from California moving to places like Texas. And what are they doing? They're escaping the horrors of California only so they can come and bring California to Texas. That's horrible. Okay? You know, Texas should do something about that. But, you know, we probably want to be careful because then, you know, they'll probably do it to Illinois too. Because Illinois, but that's fine. We don't want our people, we don't want the good people moving out of here uh, and going to, but we, I, I tell you, I'd like to send them some people from Chicago. I'll tell you that right now. But either, either way, understand a call to invite people in. It's not a call to compromise, folks. When people come in, they're supposed to follow our rules. And it was the same thing, too, in the days of the Old Covenant. They were supposed to follow that Old Covenant. They weren't supposed to bring their gods with them. They were for, to forsake their gods. So don't, don't allow the perverted American mindset of being inclusive in all these things cloud your judgment on this, okay? Uh, I'm using biblical terms again in biblical ways and not um, the Amer- modern American messed up way on these things. And so... Uh, you know, and let me say this again. And it said, and if, if this, if this tweaks you a little bit hearing this, it's probably just because you got a little brainwashing going on. Okay. But I believe church should be the most inclusive place on the planet. And, and now that, that probably bothers you to hear that. I mean, absolutely not. No, wait, here's, see, here's what you don't understand. Here's where you've been brainwashed. Some of you think that a person's identity can be, um, you know, defined by their sin, okay? which is what we're doing in our country. Okay? When, when I'm saying inclusive, I'm meaning people of all nations, people of all races should be welcome in this church. Now, if you're identified exclusively by your sin, okay, just understand, even our country doesn't believe in that. Because did you know our country segregates certain people? If, if, if sin identifies you, if behavior identifies you, we have all kinds of segregation in this country. For example, you know what we do with people who are murderers? We segregate them from society and we lock them up, don't we? People who are thieves, drug dealers. What do we do with those people? We throw them in the slammer. What are we doing? We're segregating them from society. Okay? So understand, just because we have a group of perverts today that identify themselves and act like they're their sin that identifies them is equal to like somebody's race. Understand that just doesn't make sense in any world. Okay. So when I'm saying inclusive, you say, well, you're excluding the homos. Listen, where they come from, how they were born, we would definitely include them. Now, once they start going into that kind of perverted sin, you know, just because our society has quit segregating those, you know, people doesn't mean we're not going to segregate those people. But it has nothing to do with race, birth, has everything to do with sin. Listen, if you're just a habitual cusser and you just can't help but just use filthy, vile language and just blurt out cuss words and stuff, we're going to throw you out of here too because, because of your sin, because of your behavior. 
So just you know, keep those things in mind because our, our perverted world today, people find their identity in their sin. And that's, that person is just a rebel. That's all they are. They're just a rebel. And as believers, our identity is in Christ. And we believe we have been cleansed from our sin. So why would we identify ourselves with our sin? And have you ever noticed too, there's a lot of these people popping up, more and more of them are popping up, these Christian homos. Okay? Uh, they, they're, they're popping up more and more where these people still identify themselves as LGBT, but also Christian. That's like, well, wait a minute, okay? If you're saved, shouldn't you be cleansed from that? Shouldn't you not be that anymore? And now it's one thing too, you know, if, if you've murdered somebody in the past, I believe God can save a murderer, but I hope you don't go around calling yourself, you know, I'm a murderer and a Christian. No, you've been cleansed from that. Okay. You've been cleansed from that. So don't call yourself a murderer anymore. If you've committed adultery or fornication in the past and you've been forgiven, you've been cleansed from that. Don't keep calling. Don't identify yourself with that. You've been washed from that. So these people who are identifying themselves with their sin while saying they're a Christian at the same time, that's just ridiculous. Okay? That's all that is, is a way to just slowly get Christians accepting wickedness in their church. That's all that, that's all that is. Don't fall for that kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. So while salvation is, so something we need to remember is that while salvation is not a process, we do not believe that salvation is a process. We believe it's an event. It's when, when you believe on Christ, you are born again. You are immediately saved. You've been cleansed from your sin. But did you know that that being cleansed from your sin is not an excuse for you to go sin again? That's not what it is. And it, but it's actually an opportunity to move forward, putting those sins behind us, living victoriously. And so we've got to understand while salvation is not a process, our sanctification that we do for ourselves is. Okay? And I don't want to preach on this, but understand when you get saved, there is a sanctification that God immediately does for you that sets you apart from everyone else. God sanctifies you when you get saved. If you're saved today, you are sanctified by God, but it is also crystal clear in the Bible that God has called us to sanctify ourselves. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And that process will not be finished until the resurrection. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, the trendies, they get mad when you talk about your own personal sanctification you do for yourself. They get really mad about that. And then they just want to talk about God's sanctification. I believe in God's sanctification. I believe in that. But the Bible also teaches a sanctification we do for ourselves too. And one of the things that we've got to do to sanctify ourselves, we've got to abstain from fornication. This is crystal clear right here. And it's the will of God. And it pleases God. And if we don't do these things, we don't please God. So verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we have forewarned you and testified 
For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who also hath given us His Holy Spirit. So, something that can easily happen and almost always does is whenever somebody has a little success in sanctifying themselves. Because hopefully you're all trying to do that here. Okay, I get it. We're all saved here and we're trying to sanctify ourselves. Now, where we are in that, okay, in our trying to know how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor, every one of us in here are in a different place. And you know what? We're not keeping score to see who's closest to Christ. And if you're doing that in your mind right now, shame on you. You just took two steps backwards, okay? So don't even try doing that. That's not, that's not what this is all about. This is, between, this is between you and Christ. And whenever people start doing good, it's real easy because of our flesh and our sin nature to get a little bit lifted up with pride. And you know what you just did? You just replaced one sin with another sin. Congratulations. You gave up dressing a certain way, but you just replaced that sin now with pride. Shame on you. So, again, you know, these are all things we've got to be working on and we've got to be very careful with. 2 Peter 1.8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We can easily forget that in our present condition, with our nice Baptist haircuts, with our nice clothes, with my suit and tie, that, you know, with our church attendance, with our tithing, with our soul winning, with all these things that we as independent, fundamental, premillennial Baptists do, we forget that with all those things, all these things we're talking about that we like to talk about ourselves and talk about how much better we are than the non-denoms. And folks, we are a lot better than them non-denoms. How many, when was the last time you saw the non-denom church out soul winning? You know what? They're wearing skinny jeans. We wear pants that fit. Okay? These are the things that we do in our church. And let me tell you, all these things that we can point at and talk about, did you know if all you had to present to God was those things, He'd throw you in hell with the sodomites? Think about that for a minute. Okay? Your sanctification that you've done for yourself, which we're trying to do to please God, if that's all that you have without the blood of Christ, you will go to the same hell as the sodomites, as John Wayne Gacy, as Jeffrey Dahmer, the same one that Nancy Pelosi is going to. I mean, all, all the people that we can't stand. It's, it's the same one. Okay? Now, you think about that for a little bit. It should hopefully humble you some. So even though we know, and, and we know all this. Okay, we know this. But it's easy to forget. And when we forget, what often ends up happening in a church is we end up creating a similar environment that the Jews had created in Jesus' day. And he had a huge problem with what was going on in Jesus' day. Because in Jesus' day, he saw all men as sinners, didn't he? And he still does. He sees all men as sinners. But there was one particular group that did not see themselves in the same way. That's what we saw in this story of this man who's praying. I mean, seeing himself as righteous and despising others. Jesus just saw two sinners praying. He saw a Pharisee and he saw a publican. He just saw two sinners that was all he saw. But you know what? One of them was rejected. The Pharisee, one of them, Jesus was anxious to receive. So the way I think we need to illustrate this is we often have today Baptists who kind of represent the Jews in Jesus' day. All right? Because, I mean, you know, so 
these you know, Baptists, we're a people who know how to walk the walk. We know how to talk the talk. We got the lingo down. We know how to get under the spout where the glory comes out. You know, we got us a King James Bible. We're Baptist with an extra B instead of a P in the middle there. We're, we're all, we got all these things. We got the clothes. We got the suits and ties. We're listening to the right music, faith music missions all the way. If I can't find it in the Sword of the Lord newspaper, I'm not listening to it, ladies and gentlemen. In Majesty Music, things like that. You know, we, we, we ain't listening to none of this Southern Gospel, none of this contemporary. Listen, if they got, if the guys on the CD covers, if they got messy hair, if they haven't even combed their hair, I'm not listening to them. You ain't going to find that stuff in my car. Sanctified stuff all the way. Okay? I mean, you know, we, do, we know how to look the part. And listen, I believe in all the things that Baptists promote. Talked about prison dating the other day. I believe in it. I think it's good. I think it's the best way. I believe we got. I believe we have the right kind of dress. I, I, I think. I think it's good. I think it's right. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people that have figured out how to do all those things, and they're wicked people. Let me tell you something. Some of the nicest dressed people in church are some of the meanest, nastiest, bitterest people you'll ever see. I mean, they're they're cruel. They're nasty. It's just absolutely. It, ridiculous how bad it can get literally do despise others they look at all those things that they're doing i mean they can out baptist anybody but yet they're just terrible people they're they're so down on others they have no love for people that is not good and today and so those when when that happens to you okay if that's you where you're doing all these things, you follow all the rules. I mean, you can go to a camp meeting and not even get convicted by one thing. When preachers are making up sins, you still aren't even going to get convicted because you're following all those rules. That's how good of a Baptist you are. But understand, all that's done for you is it's kind of turned you into a Jew, like in Jesus' day, where you're like, you know, I'm purebred. And I, folks, I'm purebred Baptist. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred. And when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Okay, and, I, and folks, that's the truth. I come from a long line of Baptists. I got tons. I, I, I can't remember how many Baptist preachers I got in my family. My daddy was a Baptist preacher. My grandparents were Baptists. I don't know about the great grandparents. My dad found out about one ancestor. Forgot how far back. There was McMurtry. There was a Baptist preacher too. Amen. Okay, that's all Baptist. That's all. That's all Baptist I am. And let me tell you something. You can get lifted up with pride with that kind of thing. And, lo- and there's a lot of people that are like that. They come from long lines of Baptists. But let me tell you something. Their plans of salvation sounds a little lordshipy to me. I mean, it's very questionable. And, and you, you can't get these people to go soul winning. They don't think anybody gets saved out there because those people don't repent of enough sins. And they don't turn into them overnight. And, they, and a lot of times... You got these country club Baptist churches where it's purebred Baptists everywhere. I mean, everyone in there looks the part. They dress the part, act the part, they talk the talk. Everybody follows the rules. And they have and then somebody comes into the church, a Samaritan. Somebody who's not following the rules. Somebody who's not everything that Baptists are. And what do they want to do? They want to run those people out of the church. People who are wrong 
People who are doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing, but often are looking for Christ, looking for answers, looking for guidance. But you'll have even Baptists, you have these purebred Baptists running them out of their churches. And I don't see how that's any different than the Jews were in Jesus' day. Literally shutting them out. Uh, shutting them out of the church, kind of like shutting them out of the kingdom. And so today, we've got those purebred bats that are kind of like the modern, the, or they're, they're the, you can call them the modern day Jews, if you want. But then you also have the Samaritans, or like the, you had the outcasts of Israel, you can call them outcasts of Baptists. Okay? These are people, they're everything that we're against, and that we're probably even right on. You know, they're, some of them are probably liberal Democrats, probably voted for Joe Biden. I mean, they're probably out there. They don't dress right. You know, their ladies wear things that our ladies wouldn't wear. They probably say some words that you and I wouldn't say. You know, they might even smoke, drink, chew, hang with those that do, all that kind of stuff. You know, and these people, they've tried being good Baptists before. But you know what? Maybe they failed. You know, maybe maybe they were trying to get saved by being a good Baptist. And it turned out, they just were empty inside. Because let me tell you, if you're trying to get saved by being a good Baptist, you're not going to have the Holy Spirit inside you. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, the truth is, you know, they just, maybe they were saved, but they failed to, at walking in the Spirit, which can happen. And then the purebred Baptists all start talking about how they repented of all their sins and they never wanted to touch that stuff again. And then they're all confused, and I still want to do some of that stuff. And then they're kind of getting ran out of these churches. You know, when it came to the Jews, uh, you know, you, you know, outcasts of Israel, Samaritans in the Bible, they all needed Jesus. They all needed salvation. But the problem with the Jews is they didn't think they needed it. And while they didn't have salvation, it was they were worse because they were stopping others from getting it. And today, everyone still needs Jesus. But sadly, even good Baptists can forget this very fact. And not only do they forget this important truth, but they get so lifted up, they start acting like the Jews where they start despising others. Just like we saw with that Pharisee. You know, they, he, what does it say in verse 9? It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They found their righteousness in themselves and they despised others. And understand, that can happen in churches today. Now, if this happens, how does it manifest itself today? Okay, you know, back then they could stop people from bringing the offerings. They could keep them out of the house of God. You know, there's a lot of ways it manifests itself in that day. But how, do, how can it manifest itself today? Because we don't ever want to get like this. Now, turn to verse 15 of Luke chapter 18. Look what it says. It says, And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So let me ask you, how can we end up becoming like the Jews of Jesus' day? How can we end up being guilty of doing the same things that they were doing in that day? Well, you know what? One way it can manifest itself is if we start having a problem with receiving children into the church. Okay, now you might say, well, we got that down. Look at all these kids we have here. No, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I'm not talking about your purebred Baptist kids. I'm not talking about them. Okay, what if some kids from the neighborhood want to start coming? What if some parents 
want to drop their kids off in this church for free babysitting. And, and you know, are we going to accept them? Because let me tell you, those kids have souls too. You know, there's a lot of churches that have bus routes. I, I like, I, I'm for bus routes. I think they're a good thing. I've worked on them for years. You know, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people in those churches like don't want bus kids. Oh, they just tear the place up. They, you know, they don't contribute anything to the church. They're souls. They're, they're people who are capable of hearing about Jesus. They're capable of understanding the gospel and being saved. Uh, now, why would we refuse people like that? And a lot of times people do. They, they don't want them. Because, you know, let me tell you something about these kids. You know, they get a little crazy sometimes. But you know what? At least they're all our kids. We can take them home and spank them, right? But, you know, what about when it's other people's kids? And here's the, here's the thing. Right? I'm not trying to be snooty. I'm not trying to be snobby. Okay, But world, children of Gentiles, of worldly people, of unsaved people, you know, they might not behave as well as your purebred Baptist brats. They might not behave as well. You know, and a lot of times we can just kind of look at, you know, look at those kids. You know, Pastor, uh, you know, we're really having problems with this kid. He's causing too much trouble. I think we need to talk to his parents or I think you need to tell him he can't come to church unless his parents are here too. You know, is that really the kind of attitude that we don't want to have, that we want to have? You know, should there be a difference between children of tithing church members and children of lost people? Because again, you know, these kids have souls too that are just as valuable as your children's souls. Now, your children's souls are more valuable to you because they're your children and that's fine. But as a church, we should care about all souls. And we should be trying to reach these people. So, and I sure, and you know, here's the other thing too. I sure hope we wouldn't treat the child of a single mom. If we have a single mom in the church, would we treat her children different than one with two parents? Because again, listen, God can you, you know, there's single moms out there who do wonderful jobs raising their children. But you know what? Let's all just admit it. That'd be tough raising kids without a father in the home. Or raising kids without a mother in the home. Did you know that if we, have, you know, if we have a single mom in the church who has kids, her kids might struggle with behavior more than your kids do? Now, are you going to make that, fam, that mother and those children feel unwelcome? Because you know they're just being a negative influence on your perfect little purebred angelic children. Is that how you're going to be? Or are you going to be patient with them? Are you going to be, are you going to, are we going to receive children like that? Okay, because listen, I know all your Jewish excuses, Pharisees. <laughs> I know all of them. Say, so, you know, so you'll have a problem because, listen, we can't have the, they're going to corrupt our purebreds that we have in here. That's how they were back then. They didn't want these people from these other nations coming. You know why? Because they had this baggage with them. And you know what? It's going to take some time. When somebody from another nation comes to just kind of change everything, there, there's going to be some things in their personality, behavior, and stuff from their old life that's still going to be there. But the commands were clear. We looked at them last week. They were supposed to be received. And, and they were not doing that. And we've got to understand that when we're getting people saved, you know, when we have people that weren't raised right, weren't raised like we were, they're going to have some baggage. But you know, we've got to receive them anyway. We've got to love these people. They need to be welcomed. 
said, and kids with unsaved parents, kids without a father or a mother, they're going to have struggles that your kids probably don't have. And imagine shutting a dis, dis, disadvantaged child out of a church because of something they didn't choose for themselves. Do you think they chose for their parents to get divorced? You think they chose to not have a father in the home? You know what we just have to do with people like that? You've got to show them extra love. You've got you to show them extra care. Those disadvantaged Samaritans, they're still going to have to follow the rules. You know, that we're going to have expectations for them. But you know what? How are, I'm not saying we just let people come in here and, you know, some little, some, you know, kid from the junior high school comes here and he like tries dealing drugs with the kids here. I'm not saying we're not going to deal with that. Okay. And folks, junior hires are dealing drugs today. It's, it's happening. Uh, I was just at a meeting where the uh, two detectives from Sterling, they were talking about some of the drug stuff going on with junior hires. Blew my mind. But let me tell you something. That could happen. Junior hire comes in here into church. He, he could have drugs on him. Okay, now, now, here's the thing. I'm not saying, don't even say anything about it. No. We're going to deal with that. But let me ask you, when we deal with it, when their Gentile nature gets the better of them, when they mess up, how are we going to act? Good, we got them. Get them, Pastor, get drugs. Get them, get them out of here. Is that going to be your attitude? Or are we going to be sad? Are we going to go to them and is, are, are we truly going to be able to tell them, hey, listen, we love you. We want you to be a part of this church. But you can't be bringing stuff like this. You can't be talking about this kind of stuff. If, if, if you're not able to follow these rules, you know, you're not going to be able to be here. When we say that to them, is that child going to know that we love him, that we care about him, that we're, we're sad that we have to say this to him, that we're disappointed that he's going to have to leave? Or is he going to think they're glad to get rid of me? They finally got, they finally got the goods on me. You know, and, and folks, that can make all the difference right there. And I'm afraid that's where it's at. A lot of times when a church, when a pastor has to get up and preach to a bunch of Pharisees and say, you know, what, we're going to let these people, and, but you know, if they do this and this and this, Obviously, then we'll deal with it. It's like everybody in the church is just waiting for them to do one of those things. They can pounce on them. But no, we should, you know, and I'm not saying we'll never pounce. Again, they, back then, if people from other nations came, want to be a part of Israel, they had to follow the rules. People are going to have to follow the rules if they come to church here. But how are we going to react and respond when the Gentile nature comes out? Is it going to be with love or are we just going to be glad to get rid of them? Because let me tell you, some of these little Samaritans that are out there, they could grow up into being some of the greatest Christians that are going to put your purebred Baptists to shame. A lot of your purebred Baptists are going to eventually give their life to the devil because they were so busy being a Baptist that they never actually saw their need for a Savior and ever got saved. And folks, that kind of thing happens. There's purebred Baptists all over the internet right now, just trashing everything that there is about Baptist, the Baptists. What happened? You know what happened? They were raised to be Pharisees is what happened. And they never got the Holy Spirit. They never got saved. And so now, all they see are, a, they just see a group with a whole bunch of rules and things. Instead of a people who are just trying to express their love for a Savior who loved them and died and paid for their sins. They don't, they don't, know, they don't know what the difference. And so now, or worse than them doing that, 
Sometimes those purebred Baptists, they grow up and they turn the church into a repent of your sins for salvation house of Pharisees. And then we don't want that either because those churches aren't getting anyone saved. So we've got to make sure that, you know, we do that. We don't we don't want to have a problem with receiving. We should be so anxious. Any body that comes through this, those doors, it should be our hope that they stick. It should be our hope that they can be a part of this church. And good. not everybody's going to want to. Not, and, you know, some people, uh, but, you know, they're, they're not going to want to have anything to do with it. They're not going to be willing to follow the rules. They're not going to want to believe the things that we're teaching. But you know what? We ought to truly be sad and disappointed every single time that happens. And if they've got behavioral issues, you know what? We should just be excited and waiting to see what God does in their life and how God changes them. You know, some of the best preachers I've ever heard you know, at one time they were, they were the, they were that little Samaritan kid in the church that everybody was looking down their noses at. But you know what? Thankfully, a lot of those people, they found people in that church who loved them, helped them, trained them, and they changed their life. And now they're living for God and they're, they're good old fashioned Baptists now, just like, you know, just like we want them to be. So turn over to Luke chapter 14 and verse 12. Another way that we can start becoming like the Jews of that day is when we stop trying to get outcasts inside the doors of this church. It says, and, and I'm not talking about just trying to get them saved. Okay. I know we do that in this church. I know we go out and we do. We like going to the nasty neighborhoods and the, and the poor neighborhoods because people are more receptive. They're more willing to listen out there. But you know what? What's going to happen if those people start coming in here? Well, I'm all fine with them getting saved and going to heaven, but you know, I don't know if I want them coming in here. I mean, I've led some people to the Lord that stank pretty bad. Okay? But you know what? And you know what? Some of you, you all don't want to sit by stank. You don't want to sit, you don't want to sit by that. They're going to smell up a place. They're going to scare off all the rich people. Good. You know what? Well, you know, let's get you all. I'd rather have God's blessing than your money. But I'll take your money too. No, I'm just but, but look what it says in Luke 14, verse 12. Then said he also to them that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. Stop looking to do something for somebody that you can get something back from. Start looking to do something for somebody you're not going to get anything from. It says, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Let me tell you something about poor people. They don't contribute anything. Let me tell you something about maimed people. They require work and effort to help them even get into the place. They, you know, they require special needs. That's why we've got to have all these handicapped things. You know what? I think it's dumb that the government forces all those things, but you know what? We should want to do that. We should want our place to be handicap accessible. We should, we should want that kind of thing. And, it's, and, so, and you know, the blind, they're going to require help getting around. Are you okay with that? So, and it says in verse 14, And thou shalt be blessed... For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray they have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord those things, these things. 
Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, go out quickly. Now let me ask you, who do you think all those upper crusters were that he was talking about that were originally bidden to the supper? You know who those were? Jews. That's who he went to first. He went to the Jews first. But you know what? They had all kinds of excuses. And the master, who do you think that represents? He got, that represents the Lord. He got angry. And then look what it says. It says, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Now, who do you think those people represent? Okay. Now, I know none of you think it's you, but it's you. Okay. That's what you really are. That's what you really were before you got saved. I knew John 3.16 from the time I was able to speak because I went to Sunday school when I was in my mom's womb. That's how much I know about it. Listen, no. You were all these things right here. Jesus, sa- Jesus saved you out of that. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So understand, God wants His house full. And I don't believe He just wants His house in heaven full. I believe He wants this house full. I believe God wants this house. I believe God wants this building full of people. Full of people that believe on Him, that are trusting in Him. And you know what? We need to go out and we need to get them. We need to compel them. We need to compel them. We need to talk them into it. They're not just going to come knocking our doors down, folks. We've got to go out there. And we've got to get them. We've got to persuade them to come in. And we're, and we're talking about these kind of people, the rich, the religious, the, you know, these Pharisees. They're not going to want to come. Okay? They're not, it, we've got to go to the poor, those who have not had all these advantages. And when we stop doing that, when we quit caring about getting those outsiders in here, we become like the Jews. And I, do, I hate to even acknowledge this fact, but you know what? Everyone knows this is true and that there are some people that are out there that are considered desirable to have in your church while there's others that are considered undesirable. Again, the people who stink. You know, the, the, you know, the poor people. You have the rich people. Oh, man, we get these people tithing. Oh, man, we got the local politicians. We get these people in here. We're going to have some kind of pool in the community. You know, we don't have to worry about him messing with us anymore. You know, we want all these big names, the, the dignitaries, the business owners, all these people, because they can help us. They can advantage us in all these areas. But let me tell you something. In case you see yourself as a desirable, remember, again, God would throw you in hell right now if it wasn't for Jesus making intercession for you. For you that are saved right now, you purebred Baptists, if Jesus wasn't making intercession for you, you'd be thrown into hell. Not talking about being desirable to God, though, but being desirable to man. And the things that are desirable to man are things like riches, prestige, all those things. And listen, we should not, we should not just try to get the poor saved. We should try to get them into church. We should go after the drunkards. We should go after the harlots, the convicts. We're going to try to help them stop those things. You know, we don't want them continuing to identify themselves as that. We want to go to tell them you can be cleansed from that and you can forsake those things like that woman taken in adultery. We can say, go and sin no more. Those are the things we want to tell them, but these people can be cleansed from that, spiritually speaking. But understand, if a harlot gets saved and gets cleansed from that sin while she is immediately washed and if the Lord would return, He would glorify her and take her to heaven, just understand, there's going to still be 
some earthly stink on her. And it's going to take some time for her to sanctify herself and to learn how to possess her vessel and all these things that have been commanded. But are we going to, are we going to help with that? Or are we just going to look at that and think, I don't want that in here. I hope that's not our attitude. I hope we're not shutting people like that out of the kingdom and robbing them of an opportunity to learn more about Jesus, robbing them of an opportunity to learn more about what's been done for them, learning more about how to live a life consecrated to Christ. I hope we would never do anything like that. And, but you know, understand, we're going to try to help these people stop these things, but even if we fail in getting them to clean up their lives, they should always know anybody that walks out of here, Anybody, or anybody that we ever have to throw, if we have, even have to throw them out, they should always know that it was our desire that they be one of us. And hopefully we can get them here long enough to know they don't have to be identified with those sins that they committed in the past. And so, uh, understand, I think those of you that have been here in church for a while, I think you've hopefully figured out that we genuinely care about you, that we love you, that we, we consider you a friend. And if there was a terrible sin that you went and committed and you weren't willing to repent of it, if we had to tell you to leave this church, you would know it's not because we hate you. It's just because we've clear, the Bible has clearly commanded that that sin not be once named among you as become a saints. And that, they, that Liberty Baptist Church does not hate you, but they do hate that sin, and they want nothing more than to see you forsake it so he can restore you back to the fold. And it's not going to happen if we have to throw somebody out, and then your guys are all on Facebook calling them whatever they did. You know, don't, don't do that kind of thing, too. But, under, but we need to make sure everybody knows, anybody that comes to here, the, the, the attitude people ought to have when they come to this church is, I could be one of them. If I would just obey the Bible like it says, that church would accept me. That church would take me even if they have messed up. Even if they have done a bunch of things that they shouldn't do, that they, everybody should understand that. You don't have to be identified with that sin, those sins you've committed in the past. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. So if we have a problem with receiving children, we're getting like the Jews. If we, have, if we stop trying to get the outcasts into the doors of this church. We're becoming like the Jews. When we have no desire to fellowship with sinners, we're becoming like the Jews. Let me tell you something about these people that we see in this community. When you see these people out there that are bad, that need to be saved, you ought to have, there ought to be something in you that wants to fellowship with them. Again, not because of their sin, but because you know what Jesus can do for them. And, and because you just genuinely love them. You understand they have a soul, that they, have, that, that they are a person, that they need friendship, they need love, just like anybody else. And, and look what it says. I, I need to turn over there. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. It says, in G, As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, Matthew's a publican. Typically, Jews don't say, come follow me. It was more, you know, you stay away from me. That's what good Jews would say to a publican. But that's not what Jesus said to, to this publican. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, 
They said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so understand, you should love and accept people who have baggage, even if you don't feel like it. But let me tell you something. The truth is, something's wrong if you don't feel like it. And, you know, don't be afraid to admit I got something wrong with me. You know, don't be afraid to admit that. You need to ask the Lord to help you with this. And I believe he will help you with this. But Jesus, he didn't, when Jesus was sitting down with these publicans and sinners, he wasn't making a show of eating with them. He wasn't taking selfies and saying, hey, look, you know, look at everybody on Facebook. Look who I'm sitting with. I see preachers do that kind of thing. You know, they're always, you know, got their arm around that just smelly looking dude. You know, look who I got to come to church today. Why don't they ever do that with a regular looking person? Or, or, or rich, you know, if, you know, I mean, have they never got a rich person to come to church before? Why don't they get a selfie with them? Well, then that doesn't really look humble. But when you show, look at me with this dirty. I just saw a video somebody shared on Facebook. I didn't watch the whole thing. It had to have been fake. It, I, I don't, I, I hate to think anybody would do this. But there was like some, you know, poor looking mom struggling with her baby and she didn't have money to pay her groceries. And these people are like filming themselves as they're looking and, oh man, you know, we should help her. And then, you know, they went and helped her out and stuff. It's like, why would you humiliate a person like that? Listen, have you ever been there where your debit card or something wasn't working? That's embarrassing. I don't want somebody to film me. I would rather just not get my stuff and leave an embarrassment. Don't put it online for the whole world to see me getting humiliated. You know, and then, of course, they always help, and the people break down crying. We've all seen it a million times. The people, too, do it where they give the waitress a great big tip, and they film it. Some poor-looking pregnant waitress, you know, and then oh, we give her $500, stuff. she cried. You know, don't film that stuff. What is wrong with you? Okay? Just verbally, you know, or tell everybody about it. Type it out. Don't humiliate these people that way. And you know what? Why does your left hand have to know what your right hand is doing anyway? Why do you got to tell everybody, oh, we're just trying to inspire others to do good? No, you're trying to glorify yourself is what you're doing. And a lot of, pe- a lot of Christians out there have figured out how to, use, you know, how to use these opportunities where they're eating with publicans and sinners as photo ops for themselves. Disgusting. Okay? You should just naturally do this. You should just naturally do this kind of thing. You know, every preacher loves taking a picture of themselves in the hospital with the bald kid, right? Because he can tell it's a chemo patient. We all feel terrible when we see that. Why would you use a child like that for a photo? That, that is so horrible. That's another, I shouldn't be ranting about this because i got a lot more stuff I want to cover. I need to make, do this quick. But folks, that's not right. Don't do that. And so under, you, you should love and accept people who have baggage and uh, you need to make sure you teach your purebred Baptist brats not to look down on people who have visible scars of sin in their life. Let me tell you something. Those people out there, they have tattoos all over their bodies and holes stretched out in their ears and all those things. Those people can be saved. And if they get saved, their ears aren't going to magically close up. The holes in their nose, you know, not just the two nostrils, but the, you know, more than two holes, they're not going to just magically go away. Those visible things are going to be there. And you know what? They're just as saved as the purebreds, probably more saved half the time. 
And you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to be this. I've been to those churches where everybody's just perfect looking. Everybody's got my hairdo, the Baptist comb over. Okay. Most of theirs look a little better because they got a little more to work with than I do. I don't know what I'm going to do when I have to change my hairdo, folks. This is, I've got the Baptist comb over. But one of these days, I'm not going to have anything to comb over. I don't know how I'm going to look more Baptist. I just, I don't know what I'm going to do when that, when that day comes. But, you know, the, if, if you, if you do look down on that kind of thing, you know, just what a shame that is. You know what? You haven't been glorified yet either, and neither have they. And there's a good chance that person who is saved from that life of sin, who's got all kinds of scars, that they're going to shine brighter in the resurrection than you. Because you know what? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but to whom much is given, much is required. Too much is given, much is required. So, last way, when we fail to change where God wants us to change, we're like the Jews. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 28. Turn over there. Matthew 21, 28 says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You know why? Because these Jews, they're saying, I obey. I'll obey you, Father. But they weren't really obeying Him. You had these publicans and harlots. They were they were rebels at one time. But you know what they did? They repented. They repented. And there was a, that, that, and because of that, they were justified rather than these ones who just acted like they were obeying. Because they were not in obedience. And let me tell you, you might not have done some bad things that are out there to do, but if you aren't doing the good God has called you to do, guess what? You're in rebellion. You're in rebellion if you're not doing the good that God's called you to do. Luke 12, 47 says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required, and who men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. And let me tell you, you want to know who Jesus was more harsh with? It was the Jews, wasn't it? Why? Why was he so hard on the Jews and so compassionate on the Samaritans? You know why? Because the Jews had been given everything. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. It was the Jews Jesus brought out of Egypt. It was the Jews that Jesus allowed them to go into captivity because of their sin, but He also brought them out of captivity. He restored them to the land. He gave them the temple. He gave them the Word of God. He sent them prophets. He fed them man in the wilderness. He did one thing after another for the Jews, and then here the Messiah finally shows up. And what are they doing? Nothing. They thought they were doing all kinds of things, but not only were they doing nothing that He had told them to do, then they killed the Messiah. And guess what? His wrath is on him because of it. But then you had the Samaritans who had barely anything. Their start, their origins were horrible. They had a few Levites that they conned into coming and they corrupted the priesthood. And they, they tried when the Jews came back to Israel. They tried to join up with them, but the Jews shut them out. So for hundreds of years, they're just doing their own thing the best they knew how. But let me tell you, it stunk the way they did it. And their religion was a mess, there's no doubt about it. But when Jesus came and He preached to them, when they heard the Gospel, 
They accepted it. And Jesus was very good to them. He loved them. And let me tell you, if you grow up, if you grew up in a Baptist home, you need to understand God expects some things from you. And when I think about what God has given me, it makes me want to be really merciful to other people. Because I've been given a lot. Said so I, I, I said, I, I, I got my purebred Baptist heritage that I could talk about. I don't say that bragging. When I think about my heritage, it causes me to fear sometimes. Because what must God expect from me? When I see what some people have done who have been given so little, and then I look at what I've done who's been given so much, I get a little nervous. I get a little nervous. And you know what? Because I don't know how it's all going to measure out, my thing is, I just want to be really merciful to others. Because I know that will also come back on me too. Because with what judgment I judge, I shall be judged. That can be good, it can be bad. I can use it good if, I, if I'm merciful to other people. And you know what? We will never be as merciful as Christ. And you know what? I don't, I don't think we need to be afraid of going too far on this. All right, the people who don't like you, who because you don't judge exactly the way you do, they'll call you holier than thou, bleeding hearts, all that kind. Of, they'll call you all the names. They've got them all down. But you know what? Who cares? They're not the they're not the righteous judge. Jesus is. We're going to stand before Him one of these days. And you know what? I want to be pleased with what I've done. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. I pray, Lord, that Liberty Baptist Church will be the most loving, most inclusive uh, church that there is in this planet. I pray that we will anxiously receive people, that we will truly love them, Lord. We won't just put on a show, but we will feel it, uh, we'll mean it, and I pray that we'll, uh, you'll use us to just make a difference in people's lives. And I pray for uh, everyone here, Lord, who ha- we have, we've been given a lot. I pray that that'll just strike fear in our hearts, thinking about what is, must be required of us as a result. And I pray, Lord, that we will... I'll be a people that shows mercy just like you. In your name we pray. Amen.